The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello. We're on the road again. We are. We're in uh, Melbourne this Melbourne. time doing the show in my uh, well, it, we, temp- temporary home. We call this the Tofop Escort Series, where yeah. I come to visit you in your hotel room <laughs> and, and we do our dirty business. Well, I came and met you in the foyer. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, Please don't ring through to the room. <laughs> don't let them know that you're here for me. I've given them a false name. Uh, I am... Uh, uh, I, I've just started a, a new radio show. For those who don't know what a radio show is, it's like a podcast, but they pay you. Yeah. And uh, I don't have a house. It's in Melbourne, and I don't have anywhere to live at the moment uh, in Melbourne, so they've put me up at a hotel that is down the road. Now, it's a hotel that I would never stay at personally because it is in a casino, and mm. that's not normally where I would stay, but it's where they put their people up. And because I'm staying here for a week, they've given me, like, the casino's giving me like a oh, high rollers room. Yeah, right. Okay. So you might notice I've got quite a big lounge room yeah. with a like big open view of the city and stuff and a separate bedroom. There's a bath that's as big as our entire bathroom in Sydney. There's greyhounds just running laps of your bed. And there is, it, you can just bet on anything. Yeah, Just exactly. in this room, you yeah. can just open the fridge, bet on anything. Yeah, your table is just a giant chip, poker chip. Well, you know what at. they do? Every time you check in, they give you a free bet. So there's like, I mean, this is the thing about casinos, right? Because wow. I don't gamble. Um, but the thing about casinos is that every time you check in, they'll just give you like a $10 voucher to play mm. the tables. So I've checked in here about five times now. So I've got about 50 bucks in free vouchers that I can go and play the tables. And eventually it'll get to the point where I'm like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. <I'm laughs> Why gonna, not? I'm going to make it rain yeah. with the $10 free vouchers for betting. <laughs> I've stayed at this hotel before. They've never offered me a voucher. Maybe they just looked at me and they're like, oh, dude. <laughs> like, I, think, I think it might be new. I think right. it's part of their new promotion. Oh, okay. That it's like, you know, come on, go come on. gamble. Come on. Come on. Do yeah. the most irresponsible thing you can with your money. Yeah. Hey, you've got a new job. Have you've you got seen... heaps of money now. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you go and gamble at all? Statistically, you realize you're going to lose. Right. But go on. Go on. <laughs> go and gamble in our gambling house. I'm not a gambler either. It's no. the one thing. It's funny. Like, I have a lot of vices, definitely. But gambling, I always assume it's because I have such low self-esteem that I could never imagine that things are going to work out for me. That's the thing that puts me off, is I'm like, nothing good ever happens to me. Why would, I, why would my horse win this race? I'm not a winner. Yeah, exactly. In fact, me getting involved in this horse is the dead weight it does not need exactly. in this race. Exactly. I've been on like five cancelled TV shows. Yeah. What makes me think I can pick the right horse to you win a race? You for St Kilda. Oh, f- like, of course, my entire life has been defined by losing. Right. You may well be the dead weight that yeah. St Kilda needs to get rid of to get a premiership. That's why a meat left. Yeah. Uh, I know this isn't our footy podcast, but uh, it, because it, it has come up, 
Chris Judd, the very uh, fabulous uh, twice Brownlow medalist, one of the greatest AFL players of all time, he says that everyone has kind of one of the four Ps, but if you have all four of the four Ps, you're in trouble. So the four Ps in this example are... Um, uh, so punting is one of them. Right. One of them is uh, piss. So alcohol. Drinking. Right. Like drinking piss. Yeah. Right. So uh, Helen Merrin's in trouble. Piss. The the other one's a p word for womanizing. Yes. 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 And the other one is the Persian rugs, which is slang for drugs. Oh. So basically... I mean, Chris, like, I, mean, I understand it, it sounds cool to say piece. the four Ps, but you're really... Like, we had to sit down and break it and draw... Will got out a fucking whiteboard to draw up what he was explaining because it was so unclear. I mean, Chris, you came up with the four Ps first. That's what I'm thinking. You came up with one P and then... The punt is what you came up with first. And then the rest, you're like, oh, how can I make this work? He's like, punt. Uh, it's like Batman naming everything the Bat whatever. Yeah. It's like, come on. The Bat belt, the Bat communicator, the Bat just fucking, it's a, it's a walkie-talkie, Batman. <laughs> that is one of the more insecure things about Batman, isn't it? He has to brand it all? That everything has to be on brand? Yeah. Well, that's how he's made himself rich, though. He understands branding and merchandising. He goes, that's not a phone. That's a Bat phone. <laughs> I reckon it's just a phone, Batman. <laughs> it's just the same as a normal phone. That's not a signal. That's the bat signal. <laughs> That's my bat belt. Uh, we got a little bit of feedback, actually, around the topic of superheroes oh, during yeah. the week. Uh, there was a girl who wrote to our uh, Facebook page, and she yeah, enjoyed that we spoke about Wonder Woman, but she said uh, that, you know, that we kind of really only talked about it in the context of you know, about the idea that, you know, it was a different way of looking at a superhero movie and, like, the, you know, we talked a lot about mm. the male gaze and female directors and we didn't... You know, Analyse the film. Well, we just didn't del delve into yeah. it in the same way as we would delve into the plot or characters. Well, of I, I saw that comment and I felt that was just a case of the film's been out forever. Right. And I felt like, you and know... And normally there's no fun talking about the plot unless we're spoiling it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, no, I just, I just, I kind of feel like, you know... When a film is out and it's kind of like in the public, but I've listened to every like podcast about Wonder Woman and stuff, and I feel like there's been a lot of commentary. I don't know that, you know, us analysing the plot would have added anything new. It wasn't a deliberate omission because uh, female superheroes don't deserve that kind of analysis. No, if anything, I think like I responded and I said I think I think perhaps we erred the other way mm. in that you know we're two blokes on a you know podcast talking about you know comic book movies. There is a certain direction those conversations can sometimes go. Yes. Of like the female Ghostbusters ruined my life. <laughs> and I felt like if we talk too much about the plot, which was basically stupid and non-existent, and the characters, which were mostly one-dimensional, undeveloped, it mm. might seem like we were, you know, making... Undercutting. A, yeah, undercutting the good things about the movie, which there were a whole bunch of good things as well. Mm. But I can't... Like, the plot is stupid. Yeah. Like, and then, it's a stupid plot. Well, you're like, one, all right, you asked for it. The, thir <laughs> the third act is terrible. The third act is the same that's wrong with every other DC yeah. film, where it's just like fire and smoke and noise and it doesn't make any sense. And I feel like it really let it out. Because I, I was really enjoying the film up until that point. But then I'm like, oh, God, it's another fucking incomprehensible punch-up with too much CGI, just like the end of Batman versus Superman. Yeah, any well, just like the end of any of those, like it's like the you know the Wolverine ninja movie, mm. which was unreal until the point where he had to fight a robot ninja, fight a robot ninja, yeah. or like any one of them that ends with some big alien thing coming from the sky I that feel they like, have to fight. I feel like that is just a, a basic 
It's like a basic flaw of formulaic filmmaking, which is that you have to amp up the set pieces as like the third act traditionally has to be the most impressive. And I think that, I don't know, what I love, you haven't seen Thor yet? I, have you? No, I haven't yet. Right. But I feel like I love that film and I know there's going to be a lot of people who don't love that film who are going to feel like it's like just too silly and stupid and, and it's a bit like people who didn't like Shane Black's Iron Man. Mm. I love Shane Black's Iron Man because it's a Shane Black film yep. with Iron Man. And we've talked about this on the show before. Give directors with a vision, you know, just a, non, a non-canon go at all these characters that we have seen done again and because I'm bored with that formula. Like, I loved what Taika did. I loved what Shane Black did. And I feel like if Patty Jenkins maybe had been given more creative freedom, she could have followed that, what she'd established in the first two acts, and done something that was a bit smaller, you know, maybe a bit more intimate. I don't know. Well, maybe that's what they'll do with the sequel as well. Yeah. Because the good, the good news about Wonder Woman, I will say, is that Wonder Woman, Gail Godot, is that her name? Gail mm. Godot? Uh, she's great. Mm. Like, she's definitely... And I had doubts about her. I, I did not... Lo- Everyone loved her in Batman... Well. I felt like most people thought she was the best thing about Batman as a Superman. Yeah, she was, but that was a very. But I wasn't. Part yeah, of the I was thing. not convinced. Yeah. To me, she was like, "Oh, she's a model who sort of looks good, but I don't know if she can act." But then I actually really dug her in the film. Yeah, like being the best thing in Batman versus Superman is like being the most delicious thing at Sizzler. It's not <laughs> yeah. like a high bar that you're really setting. You're like, "This cheesy toast is really nice." Yeah, because everything else is shit, mate. That's why. But yeah, I thought that um, you know the actual plot of Wonder Woman, you know. Well, it suffers from the same thing as, like, I think Superman suffers from, which is that because if someone is basically invincible, Mm. then all the stuff that they do, like, there's hardly any stakes to it. Mm. So, like, even that idea of when she's, like, running out into the battlefield in the war, which, again, if you really want to pick apart this movie, I kind of felt, like, at the time when you're watching the idea that, yeah, we won the war because Wonder Woman came along and won the war. Like, it's a fun idea in a movie, but yeah. if you sit back and think about it for one second, you're like, that's pretty offensive. That's fucking disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. That is really, really disrespectful to the hundreds of thousands of soldiers who died to actually win that war. Mm. Like, you know, Wonder Woman doesn't get to march on Anzac Day, Tiger. That's not how it works. Well, I think the thing about it that I liked, especially in the context of DC films, is that she wasn't, fucking an emo like she wasn't she actually was a hopeful you know fish out of water like very similar to Christopher Reeve Superman um, you know from the 70s she was just like like this lovable kind of overgrown kid in a lot of ways but I did like the fact that her motivation to go into no man's land or all this kind of stuff was all based on positivity and belief that the world can be a better place as naive as that may seem like yeah. I did read and as naive as it kind of turns out to be even in her journey in, oh, the, 100%, in the film but, it's, but superhero characters you yeah. know like they are they are simple values but it was just good to see because I think there is a way to balance the sort of optimism and the crowd pleasing of Marvel with the sort of like deeper questions or, that the DC films have tried to get at but done really badly I don't think anyone's nailed it perfectly yet I mean maybe Logan that kind yep. of sort of seemed to balance off fairly heavier kind of deeper questions with comic book entertainment. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think Logan. And, you know, th- th- I guess that's that thing why, of why I've always liked Batman more. Even though, you know, Batman as a character, you know, through a modern context is deeply problematic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, a the 1% percent. of vigilante who's bashing up poor people. Yeah, he but- wants those tax cuts real bad. <laughs> I mean, Batman is one heavy punch away from Purge. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, now there's a movie. 
Batman on Purge night. Oh, that'd be amazing. That is, that, that's what I want to say. Yeah. Batman versus the Purge. Well, did you ever hear, though, there was a talk at one stage that um, Jonah Hill was trying to get the rights to Men in Black and was going to do a 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover. Oh, yes. Which is so batshit insane that I'm like, yeah. See, that's the kind of ideas that I like. Right. It's like, yeah, just, that's why not? Like, let's just take these properties and mix them up. We all know the Men in Black thing. We've seen that a hundred times. Yeah, definitely put them in like a, a, a spoof comedy of a TV show. Let's see what happens when when you do that. Well, I like the idea of just taking like two things and just assuming they're set in the same Two great universe. tastes. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I like. It's like, yeah. you know, just say, for example, that The Purge and Batman were both set in the same universe. Mm. So it's like Purge Gotham. So it's the Purge night in Gotham. It's in the future where, you know, the Purge is now happening. Yeah. Batman is still around. You know, some version of Batman. You yeah. Know, that, that, and like, it's Well, purge every night's night. the Purge for Batman, right? So when, well, that's right. So when the Purge happens, he's like, you guys are amateurs. Well, but I mean, the thing about the Purge night is that, like, you know, like the thing about Batman is he has to go out and find individual crimes Ooh. and it, like, takes all night, really, because you have to stand on a building. Yeah, look, you, have to brood, you have to brood on right. a... And like you have to yeah, hang around for a crime to actually be committed. But on Purge Night, yeah. you know, for 12 hours straight, it's nothing but crimes, right? It's nothing but people purging. And imagine all the characters, oh, right? Okay. Because suddenly you got the Joker, you got you know, the Riddler, whatever. They're allowed to commit those crimes for 12 right. hours. So what they're doing is technically not illegal yeah. for 12 hours. So Batman has to go out there. You can't get the assistance of the police or anything on so what? Night, can he? So what's he hoping to achieve, knowing that it's if for this one night it's all legal? Why is he even bothering to, well, get, to interfere? Well, because Batman still doesn't want you to... Get hurt. Yeah, well, Batman doesn't want like homeless people to be killed. Yeah, but hey, guess what, Batman? Being a vigilante is illegal too. <laughs> you know? Like, you can't... I can't just... If I see something happening down in the street, I can't just go down and interfere and break someone's leg because I feel like that guy was assaulting someone. That's illegal, Will. That's assault. I mean, that is a good point. Okay, so maybe <laughs> Batman really wants to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is a problematic character. But I, I think that... But the thing I like about him, sorry, that was what oh, I was going to say, is that Superman and Wonder Woman, they're, they're invincible, essentially. Mm. They're essentially They're gods. invincible, right? Thor, the same thing. Yep. So it's that idea of going, well, you kind of do have to make it a bit more superhero-y. You know, there's no point making it dark and broody and whatever because it doesn't work with the character. No, like, it and, doesn't, it, and it doesn't buy into the fantasy right. of what it's like to fly right. or the fantasy of what it's like to be invulnerable. You know, like, why would you want to... It's like... Having a friend who's super good looking, you know, smart, could have played AFL, and he just sits around all down the couch just talking about how shit things are because he's adopted. It's right. like, fuck off, look at you. You look like a GQ model. Like, have some fun. Go out. You know what I mean? That's not, it's not why. We, it's okay to, go, to watch Batman brood because, you know, the circumstances around his upbringing were pretty tragic, but... Superman, you fucking hit the jackpot. Right. You found the best parents. You landed on this great planet where the sun nourishes you to the point that you're invincible. I mean, everything Cheer that's happened fuck to up. you has worked out perfectly. On your own planet, you were just a regular you're dude. Dude, yeah. And we've met your dad. He's an arsehole. <laughs> your real dad. You went to a, You literally escaped an arsehole dad, went to a different planet where you now have superpowers. You have the best parents of all time. And then you get to be, like, you get to have a part-time job as well. <laughs> part-time job, yeah, totally. 
Like, you're writing for a big city newspaper, you're getting to go to events, you've got a hot girlfriend, you can fly. I Cheer up, Tiger. They're actually making a TV series at the moment, or a, a, at least they made a pilot. It's called Krypton, which mm. is meant to be like, uh, you know, the 200 years before the birth of uh, Superman. So the, you know, planet Krypton, I guess it's like, uh, what's, is he Jor-El or Kal-El? Uh, Jor-El's the dad, right? Okay, so Kal-El, so it's Kal-El's granddad. Yeah. The Adventures of the L family, I guess. Oh, right. Who the f- would you want to see that? I mean, essentially, you're right. On on Krypton, aren't they all just, all just us? The same. So it's essentially just a fucking some boring domestic story drama about, about some guy who some has family. exactly the same powers as everybody else. But eventually, when his grandson gets sent to another planet, yeah. its son will give him superpowers. Yeah. Yeah, let's watch that. <laughs> <laughs> That's like watching a World War Two movie, but not about World War Two, about the political machinations before the turn of yeah, the century exactly. that eventually led to World War Two. Well, II. I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of Gotham, but isn't yeah. that what happened with Gotham? Is they're like, oh, we're going to tell the stories about the other characters in Gotham, and then after a certain, they're like, quick, let's throw in some fucking right. recognizable characters. No one, no one cares. No one cares. Well, that was, and that I've heard that Gotham got much better. And right. It's rare that I've ever, ever given up on a TV show, but that was the one. Yeah, I, I mean, you are, up. you're a real like, you are a loyal boyfriend when it comes yeah. to terrible television show. I'll go back. Yeah. I'll go back. You'll, st- you'll, st- you'll stick it out. There's a, there's, a, there's a chance at some stage, much like a... You're like uh, Ed Hurley in Twin Peaks. You're married to Nadine, <laughs> but you're like, you know what? I'll just stick with it. She needs me. Like, staying with her is easier than me, like, finding happiness with Norma, who I love. No, I'm going to stick with Nadine because I'm this far in. I've got to say it to the end. Maybe the last season of Nadine will be a good episode. No! I can't fucking believe it. Uh, yeah, I am a little bit like that, and I think I will revisit Gotham because I have... Ed Hurley. Is that his name? It's Ed, you know what I'm Ed. talking about. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Like it's okay. I think that I think that the, the twins. So I've been watching. Are, I'm, I'm watching. Pl- I'm plowing my way through Twin Peaks. What are you thinking about Twin Peaks? <sighs> exhausting. I'm yeah, like three episodes exhausting. from I the end. I haven't finished it yet because I haven't had the time yet. But uh, it's, uh, uh, I've enjoyed. Look, I was warned by you guys, a lot of my friends. Like, look, it starts great, it gets meandering, and then it picks up again. So it's, but we have found it. I mean, I think it's amazing. Like I was saying to Jim last night, there's so much stuff that David Lynch does that if it was any other filmmaker, you'd be like, what? Like, and I'm like, how the fuck does he get away with really simple, obvious kind of stuff? Like, you know, like cheesy cross dissolve transitions and stuff. And, it, and I was like, Jim, how does he, is it just, is it just the consistency of his work? Like, it's not like it's, you know, he's shooting something and then all of a sudden this weird thing happens. The whole thing has a kind of abstract kind of tone to it. And even though you may not like what's going on, you can tell immediately you're watching a David Lynch film. It's, that is what I find remarkable. I've, I've been absolutely like enchanted by just the, the strangeness of it, but I'm so infuriated by the meandering nature. Like I, and the thing is too, I feel like this is what he wants. Like David Lynch wants me to be frustrated and annoyed and trying to connect the dots when there's clearly no answer because i feel like that's what the joke is there is no meaning to any of this it's just stuff he thinks of stuff that you know he responds to emotionally or you know it's just weird he has these moments of you know abstract imagery and then real cheesy kind of stuff and then like full-on graphic violence (laughs) and it's such a strange kind of ride to go on. Well, I think often like his stuff, you know, means nothing and means everything all at once. Yes. Like it means what you kind of, he gives you enough that you can almost project stuff, project meaning onto the things that he's giving you. Yes. But there's no resolution at the end that that was actually the meaning or the intention. I mean, I saw Kyle McLaughlin do a 10-minute scene with a giant kettle. Right. (laughs) 
And you're like, in, in another, in like in another show, you'd be like, well, that'll get explained at some stage. Yeah, that'll no. get paid off. No, please no. don't think it ever will. So here's what I'm going to pitch to you. Yeah, uh, David Lynch's Iron Man Four. Yes. <laughs> no, I would love to see David Lynch do a superhero film. Find the right character. Yeah. Maybe like David Lynch's Sandman or, or something like that. David Lynch's Swamp Thing. David Lynch's... Well, that is the sort of thing, right? If you could find one of those... Bizarre characters. Yeah, and give it to David Lynch. Yeah. I would love to see that. Who are, who are the other people who have those iconic styles? Because we talked about Shane Black. We talked about... David Fincher. Tyker. Would oh, yeah, make David a fantastic, Fincher. hard-boiled yeah. Batman detective film, you'd yeah, think. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, uh, who else has kind Spielberg, of... Spielberg. Yeah. Scorsese. Oh, yeah, Scorsese. Well, there is that talk about Scorsese doing a Joker film or is there? producing a Joker film at least, yeah. So, yeah, that would be good. That's what Not you- if it's Jared Leto. I'm, I've decided I'm over. I, I mean, I know I'm late to the party, but I saw Blade Runner 2049 or whatever it was, and I'm like, fuck off, Jared Leto. Like, we all see through this. Somehow you snuck in and won an Oscar, and that's put you back on the map, but... You're fucking annoying. You really are. And it's so, it just feels so pretentious. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel that with Jared Leto? Uh, you know he lost me when he started sending people used condoms yeah. in the mouth. <laughs> like, that was it for me. That was that moment where I was like, yeah, you know what? Just act. Yeah. You know, just, just, just act. Just, you don't need to send your cast mates. There is no other workplace in the entire world. And I guess this goes to, you know, like, I mean, obviously Hollywood is having a a reconciliation with how problematic, you know, a lot of the aspects of the show business system have been. Mm. And the show business system have been, let's be honest, for a hundred years. Like, I mean, basically since the invention of film, this idea that these studio heads have had unreasonable power over their, like, particularly female starlets. And the, it's been a long history of this thing happening, but I think we've become hyper aware that, it's still happening in a major way today. Mm. Hollywood is the only place where you could literally say, like, I've, I've started a new job, right? And imagine if in the press, in the lead up to this new job, I said, you know what? I really want us to have an edgy dynamic in the studio for the radio. So I've been sending uh, Eddie McGuire and Luke Darcy <laughs> used condoms in the mail. How long do you think I'd keep that job? It's... Weird though, because you're—I mean—it's still in the entertainment industry, so it's just why does the why do actors get away with it? What is it about the method? Well, I don't think even actors could get away with it. Or rock stars could get away with it. But I don't think actors could in Australia. Lady Gaga could get away with it. Yeah, but I don't think like if you were like on your last job on Home and Away, and I sent if you've been like producers a condom. I've been sending Ray Ma some used condoms in the mail. (laughs) I got Ada Nicodemus' address. I've sent her a bunch of like roses without the roses on the top, just thorns and some used condoms. Dead rat. Yeah, and a dead yeah. rat. Just to, <laughs> just to add some spice, spice to the on. scenes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, when we're exactly. looking for those missing teenagers on Summer Bay. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. It's all. I, I heard a, a story uh, from a friend of mine um, about Jared Leto. So this is allegedly. allegedly. Um, but he came to Thirty Seconds to Mars toured her town, and she and her friend were like big fans of yeah. the show. And when they're watching the show. Uh, Bouncer comes out and hands them some lemonades. Hey, girl, do you want to come backstage? And so they go backstage with a bunch of other girls and meet the band. And then they all get invited onto the tour bus. And as the night goes on, the, the sort of crowd thins out. And Jared is obviously keen on this friend of mine. Yeah. And so she kind of... I mean, is he? Or does he just need some used condoms? <laughs> <to send laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And so she's kind of letting him know that, you know, she's not up for anything like that. And so he sort of like tries on it a couple of times and then kind of gets the, the point that nothing's going to happen yeah. and then gets quite sullen, like, and annoyed. And then, like, his tone changes where he's like, okay, well, I'm hungry. And she's like, okay, well, what are you already doing? And he's yeah. like, well, this is your town. Where can I go and eat? And she's like, well, it's a small town. There's, like, a McDonald's. And okay, let's go to McDonald's. And so she and her friend get in the car and Chad Letters in the back seat, like, grumpily, like a teenager. And they have to drive him to McDonald's so he can get a hamburger and then drop him back at his tour bus. And she said it was so weird. Like, he went from being, like, so charming rock star to being, like, yeah. sullen, broody teenager right. who, just, who just wants extra nuggets. Yeah, well, just... Get to McDonald's, <laughs> and I'm not having a McHappy meal because I'm McUnhappy. You got 30 seconds to get me an ice cream. <laughs> so strange. Well, I like though that he's like, he's obviously. He's hey, like, you want to make out? No, can yeah. you get me a Big Mac? <laughs> Allegedly. I have two emotions. They both start with H: hungry and horny. <laughs> Which, which of them are you going to satisfy? <laughs> <laughs> I want 20 nuggets in a condom. <laughs> Can you send these to Margot Robbie, please? <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to see if he comes back as a joker. I think that was, that was one of those performances where there was nothing necessarily wrong with it. But there was just nothing necessarily good about it either well the funny thing about it was that apparently he just shot so much more than was in the movie that's the big yeah thing, but right is like they they shot like a heap of yeah i mean yeah, but it, they... it felt like it too didn't it feel like he went you know he fucking had libbing and you right. could imagine and it's just like none of it made it in and i wonder why that is right. well that gives you a reasonable yeah. sign doesn't it yeah like if you are playing the most iconic character in the entire film and they shot heaps of it and they're like, yeah, no, we don't need to use any of this. That says something, right? Yeah. And I think it's also one of those things where the character, because it's such an iconic character and obviously what Heath Ledger did was amazing, there was an expectation that the character will do the work for you. You just turn up and be weird and like, you know, serpentine and all the kind of weird things he was doing. But, I mean, look, it was not a good film in general, but I just felt like... That was such a pedestrian reading of an anarchist. I mean, that's what the Joker is essentially, right? An agent of anarchy. He right. is the opposite of order. Some men just so, want to watch the world burn. Yeah, so, but here he is running a nightclub. Or running right. his, so he's like, like he's, what, he's an Ibrahim? Yeah, <laughs> like in like, Gotham City or something? It's like, I'm a real anarchist, but you know what? We've got to order some booze. Yeah, seriously. Like, I've got to do I've got some, to go pay wages I've this got to week. i do some accounting. Do the tax. Yeah. I'll, I'll go down and check the keg. He's driving his pink Lamborghini. Yeah. Who's, the, who's registered that car? It's like, <laughs> I mean, this is attracting a lot of attention. Pink seems a little ostentatious, yeah. to be honest, as well. Like, that's the thing. Like, the great thing about the, 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 the Heath Ledger's Joker is that he literally comes in with no backstory, mm. no motivation, and that's how it should be. Because that's what, you know, anarchy is. It's like complete disorder. Well, that's the great thing about the Nolan, you know, the Heath Ledger joker is Ooh. that you, you even uncover, because at the start when he, he's doing the, you want to know how I got these scars, yeah. you think you're getting a sense of his backstory. But the more he does it, the more you realise... It's part of his yeah, misinformation. Part of his shit. You don't yeah. know, you, you're learning absolutely... You could be learning something real about him or you could be learning absolutely nothing about him, you yeah. know? It could have nothing to do with what he's saying. But even if you think of, like, the like the Jack Nicholson Joker, which was sort of, you know, more sort of straight up and down, but even he was on a mission to deconstruct 
everything around him. Like he was going to kill as many people as he could. Nightclub running joke. <laughs> like again, w- what was he doing? Where, what's he there for? Like, how do you, if you are anti-capitalist, anti-society, how do you run a business? Okay, this is what happens okay. in Batman versus the Purge. I've got it now. Yeah. Because Batman doesn't kill people unless, you know, you're in a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah. And Batman doesn't kill people and his whole weakness has always been that idea that he, you know, he can't really kill the Joker, you know? Like yeah, to stop him he has to kill him, but he yeah, can't. but he can't, right? But eventually the Joker does something so terrible that Batman realises that... He makes Suicide Squad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he sees Suicide Squad. Batman sees Suicide Squad and realises that he has to kill, not the Joker, but Jared Leto. Yeah. He gets him in the Batmobile, takes him to drive through. <laughs> no, so Batman realises that the best thing that he could actually do is put his morals aside. And Batman rationalises the fact that he's going, well, you know what? By me saying that I can't kill, I've actually Allowed. got blood on my yeah. hands of all these other people that the Joker has killed. So really, to protect myself in some sort of fucked up morality play, I have actually done the opposite of what I'm meant to do. I have allowed the Joker to destroy people's lives just because I can't do the one thing that would actually stop that, which is kill the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. And then the purge comes along. And yeah. he realises that for 12 hours... He doesn't have to live by his moral code anymore. He can kill the Joker. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So Batman's moral code, is that according to the laws of Gotham City or the country, America, or where he lives in? I mean, is he doing, well, I mean, is he doing it to the letter of the law or is it a personal moral code? Well, I guess it is a personal moral code, but yeah. it's also the law. Yeah. You're not allowed to kill people I mean, because you dress as a bat. I always find it's a weird thing, like when Batman works with the cops, like, you know, you're going to jail or whatever. It's like... I don't know, to, to work outside the law, I mean, that, that's not going to hold up in court. Like, if you, uh, you know, if you t- arrive at the police station and there's a guy tied up with a note from Batman, like, right. aren't there a whole bunch of, like, rights that have been violated in yeah. order to Hang get on, that uh, This is not due process. Yeah, exactly. Where's the chain of evidence? Yeah, this is... Unless we can get you to come testify. Right. <laughs> like that scene in Batman Forever where he's sitting in the courtroom in his full Batman <laughs> outfit. That's my favourite scene from any iteration of Batman ever is Batman Forever with the turning of Two-Face, Tommy Lee Jones, and they cut to, it's news footage, and they cut to the the jury, and there's Batman leaping across a railing in his bat outfit, which suggests, prior to that point, he'd been sitting there quietly watching the court case in his full rubber outfit, like sitting next to people just dressed normally. What I love the most about this podcast so far is that that uh, the the Facebook message we got from that girl was, you know, when you talked about Wonder Woman, you just talked about, you know, like the positive things about it and you didn't like riff on the characters like you do with Batman. And we tried again <laughs> and then we've just ended up talking about Batman. Oh, what characters are there in Wonder Woman? So, uh, Chris Pine, good. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, good. But again, boring. You don't want, like, what are you going to really? do with that character for the rest of your life? Oh yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he, he was there to play. I thought, but what I thought was good about the way he played it is they didn't just flip, you know, flip the genders from you know Superman, yeah. the first Superman film, and just make him a damsel in distress. He no. was still a capable kind of guy, and I did like their relationship. I did think the way they set up the idea that he's a cynic who's like the world's a bad place, shit happens, you can't cry over every little thing that bothers you, and she was the idealist saying, "Well, fuck that. Like, I'm at least going to try." I did like that dynamic. I thought they played that really well. And that scene on the boat where, you know, he, she's like, why don't you come to lie down with me? And he's like, no, 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 we, we can't do that. And she's like, dude, I've read the 700 volumes. It's fine. I know all about sex. Like, 
you're going to be okay. Yeah. I thought that was a really good scene. Also, too. I can look after myself. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> if you really think you can make a move that I'm not comfortable with, you haven't really understood who I am. I'm Wonder Woman. I wasn't so sold on the, uh, is it Lucy McKenzie? Um, Rather, the comic sidekick. The yeah. Girl the What's the character? Is it Lucy McKenzie? What's the actress's name? Uh, Dawn. I Dawn. Dawn. Let's call her Dawn. Office. Dawn from The Office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked the idea of that character more than the execution of that character. Right. Like, I liked that. I thought that was a funny, like, it was nice for him to have, like, you know, that kind of female offsider who was, like, you know, cynical and understood what was going on and kind of, but I just thought it was a bit underplayed. What did you think of uh, the costume? Because oh, with the Wonder Woman costume? Yeah. I didn't mind it. Like, it actually looked like... I didn't feel it was... Because I've read some... Someone did contact us and say, oh, it was male gaze. It's like completely sexualized. I, look, I get it. She's showing a lot of skin. But I didn't ever feel like... To me, it was... And this maybe this is a bad analogy. It was like a netball uniform. Right. Like, that scene where she's in the Victorian clothing and she's like, how the fuck am I meant to fight or kick in this? Like, that to me was a perfect explanation of why she's wearing that armor. Oh, well, it seemed to me like, I mean, it, it looked like, um, like it looked like something you were, it was comfortable to fight in. Yeah. That's what it looked like to me. Like, you know, in the same way as, you know, going to... It didn't feel fetishized like Black Widow's jumpsuit. No, 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 no. no. It didn't look like, oh, this is... Or Scarlett Johansson's yeah. thing in Ghost in the Shell. Like, yeah, I felt... it, it felt practical a bit, at least. I mean, she looked amazing. Yeah. Like, I think that's the point. It's so hard to talk about it without, I mean, of, of course she's objectified. To me, there's a difference between objectified and sexualized. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I mean, but in the same way as like Superman is like, can be handsome and objectified. Yeah, like, like you can't tell me like, that. You know, the shirt off sort of yeah. like, look at Superman. Yeah. And like the same thing, but it wasn't shot in a way of going, like it, you looked at her outfit, at least in the sense of like one of these sort of movies mm. and went, yeah, okay. That, I guess that's what they wear for battle. Like, you know, it looks like it's a battle uniform. Yeah. But, you know, practical. The boot, It wasn't like, oh, no, you wouldn't fight in that. I mean, the guys in 300 literally just wore Speedos. Yeah. <laughs> speedos to battle. Well, you know, the Catwoman outfit, for example, does ne- never seems that practical. To no. Me. It always feels like, really? Especially the Halle heels? Berry one. I mean, I've never seen that movie, but I've seen the stills of Halle right. Berry where she's literally wearing a bra right. and ripped leather pants. Yeah. It's like, how is that going to be comfortable to fight in? It doesn't in? seem like this is a good fighting outfit. No. I mean, what do you wear in the UFC if you're a female fighter? It's just like the sports bra and shorts, right? So it's just like a shorts and top? I don't know. I've never watched women fight in the UFC. I've Actually, I don't know if I've ever watched an, a UFC fight. I have. I don't, I, I don't like it. I don't, well, I, I've seen enough <laughs> do you, of do you, it. Do you watch boxing? No. I, I don't like violence. violence. Blood sports. Blood sports, no. No. It's I weird. don't mind movies about them yeah. when I know it's like pretend blood sports. Well, I, was, but... I was talking, I did a Rove show last week and we were talking about wrestling. And, you know, I was saying, look, the reason, you know, because people are always like, oh, it's fake, it's fake. It's like, yeah. yeah. Because I wouldn't enjoy it if I thought this dude was actually getting beaten up within an inch of his life. Right. If I thought that The Rock had had his ambulance rammed by NWO, so I'd is, be horrified. This is totally inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Why is somebody not doing anything <laughs> yeah. about Where's this? Where's the ref? Hey, guys. This guy's hitting him with a chair. You can't hit a guy with a chair. His arms are behind his back. Guys, hang on. That's barbed wire. (laughs) He's hitting him with barbed wire. There's a great podcast that uh, a friend of the show, Michael Chamberlain, turned me on to called Something to Wrestle With, which is, um, I think it's a radio show that they kind of package up into a podcast. But it's uh, interviewing Bruce Pritchard, who uh, was Brother Love, um, back in the late 80s, but he was also the creative director of the WWE 
all through the kind of all through the the big eras. So like okay. the late '80s era, Hulk Hogan era, the Attitude era, leading into kind of the CM Punk kind of era. And it's one of those podcasts which is so fucking nerdy. They're like three hours long, and they are so minute detail. Like they will go through specific individual television broadcasts of matches, like when the Ultimate Warrior fought Hulk Hogan in this particular match, and you get all Bruce's behind the scenes of okay so how did you decide who was going to hold the belt that week and why did you drop it and was this a planned thing and it is so fascinating and it's really the interesting thing it's really act, re, uh, activated my interest in wrestling again because hearing Bruce talk about it he said it didn't matter how good an athlete someone was or um, you know how popular they were he's gone it was all about the story that's all we cared about like the the, the, the actual bout it doesn't matter if there's ladders and tables and chairs and people falling over. If there isn't like high drama, if we haven't set up the stakes enough that you are going to be shocked when, you know, the champion loses the belt or you're going to be shocked when someone runs out from backstage and when we haven't done our job. And I think that's what you loved. I mean, we've talked about this. The wrestling, the matches were, you know, whatever. It was the fucking soap opera that I loved. Right, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And in some ways, I think that I am a little bit like that with the AFL. Right. That's what I realized when I listened to like 12 hours a day of Trade Week Radio. You're like, I actually like the storylines. I, I, I sometimes think I watch the games so I can understand the storylines. And I think it was the same a bit with the wrestling, which was like I loved the drama and the storylines around it. And the wrestling was just the thing that needed to happen. So those other things had like a payoff. I guess that's why you know, in these Mar- in these DC movies, when you have that final sort of third act where it's just all fighting, that is always to me the, the letdown. Less, the least but that's, interesting part of the movie. And that's what I was going to say is like I've, I've, I've realized that, oh, yeah, they're just telling superhero stories in the wrestling. And that's what you, you know, like I, 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 I went into a rabbit hole a couple of nights ago um, on the WWE channel on YouTube. Just they have this like top 10 channel where it's just like the top 10 entrances, the top 10 pops, the top 10. And it's so great to watch like the top 10 backstage entrances when someone runs in because it is all about, oh shit, like the heroes on the ground, the NWRL stomping him. Who's going to save the day? Here comes this guy. No way. He was in hospital, you know, two days ago. It's so fantastic. Well, that's the thing that I don't think they're going to get right in the Justice League movie because they've already given away the idea that Superman's Superman's coming back, right? But that would have been that great wrestling style reveal. Where you just suddenly, you know, the the little scene they've shown. If you haven't like, there's so many spoilers in this already. But if you haven't seen the uh, trailer for it, you know, you get the little moment where the water. Come you on, know, the, the Jurassic Park moment. Yeah, but if you if you so it's either Superman in it's either Superman or a dinosaur yeah. that is coming back. I mean, the thing about this fucking this Justice League film, it just looks like a horrible Frankenstein of a you know Zack Snyder had to leave obviously for for really tragic reasons yep. and stuff, and then they bring in Joss Whedon. And you just see that trailer and you're like, we just talked half an hour ago about giving a director the ability to just shape something in his vision. This looks like the opposite of that, obviously, because two directors have had their hands on it and they're just throwing shit against the wall. But you can tell the difference too, can't you? Yeah. Like, I mean, you saw the first lot of trailers, the Zack Snyder ones. And again, like, you know, um, separate, you know, I mean, I think we're all very sad about what has happened to him in his like real life. And, uh, but you've seen Joss Whedon come in and like Quips. Joss Whedon it up. Yeah. And like the second one, you were like, oh yeah, right. So you've just gone back and reshot it all with like your jokes in it. Yeah. But the wrestling, have the wrestling ever done a just, see, this would be, this was what would get me back to the wrestling. Mm. Say, for example, some character comes in, right? Mm. Who is 
invincible. Like in the Brock Lesnar. Yeah. So it comes in, you get a Brock Lesnar type and let him take all these drugs. Like get Brock Lesnar to go back. <laughs> you had me right up until that point. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, like, yeah, you because know, Brock Lesnar's had some trouble with, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Steroids. Yeah, steroids. So just let Brock steroid it up. Like yeah. come back as like. Like Bane. Real yeah. life Bane. Right. Real life Bane. Comes into the ring and he starts in the world of wrestling kind of really hurting people. So right. all your champions, he's just indestructible. He is back. And the only way he can be defeated is like a Justice League style of wrestlers team up getting together, of like wrestlers getting together to like take him on. So it's like you bring back, so you get your CM Punk, you yeah. get the Rock back, you get like so the greatest, like a kind of Justice League of the five greatest, you know, five or six greatest wrestlers of all time team up to defeat this like evil. Did you see? You probably wouldn't because you don't follow any of it, but CM Punk actually entered the UFC. I think it was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So. Because uh, Dana White, who runs the UFC, I think is a fan of big ticket items, one-off May, uh, you know, Mayweather versus Conor McGregor and all he's, that kind of stuff. I mean, he's based a lot of what they've done in the UFC on wrestling. Oh, a hundred percent. And Conor McGregor, his entire persona is a wrestling character. You know, a little bit of Muhammad Ali, but a little bit of fucking like Hulk Hogan as yep. well. Um, but CM Punk quit the WWE, and then Dana, because he's an incredibly popular wrestler. Uh, Dana White then put a big money off at him to come fight, you know, not go through like the amateur leagues or whatever, like literally main stage, I don't know, probably half a million dollars or something. You couldn't turn it down. Got destroyed within like 90 seconds, like took on a kid who's been fighting since he was 13 years old. And when you watch it, like you immediately see, oh yeah, you're a stuntman. You're a, you're a, you're a guy who can take bumps. But you're not a fighter. Like, yeah, that is a completely different skill set. Like, I mean, CM Punk is, like, one of the toughest guys going around. <clears throat> but at stunts. Yes. At being a stuntman. Yeah. You can get hit. Yeah. Now, <laughs> like, yeah you're really great at getting hit. Yeah. You're really great at taking a fall. Like, it's, it's, it's actually brutal. It's over in, like, 30 seconds. He just gets, you know, put into a hold and taps out. But then when he stands up, his face is covered in scratches. Half his ears hanging off. And it's like, it looks like he just was in a fight with a fucking tiger. It's like, what were you thinking? Like... I, I assume, you know, you trained really hard, probably, you know, a year in training, but, like, that was always going to go that way. I mean, I'm an actor. I've played a cop. If all of a sudden I was caught in on a case, <laughs> even if you put me, even if I went to the police academy, you know, I'd probably learn how to make sound effects with my voice, but, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to solve a case. Right. Yeah, just because you pretended to be it doesn't mean that you are it. Yeah. Look what happened with the three amigos. <laughs> they go to that Mexican town. Everyone thinks they're there. They're good guys. What have you... Oh, do we... Is it like time for us? Oh, to, yeah, might as well do this. Yeah, let's do this. That's time for an ad. Um, all right, so I've got some copy here. Yeah. Guys, I've got the answer to finally make your life so much easier. Okay. Uh, since joining dollarshaveclub.com, I don't need to choose between price and quality to get an amazing shave anymore. Now, this is the thing about Charlie that some people might not know, but you would spend maybe, what, an hour and a half, two hours of your day every day choosing between price and quality. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> That's right. It's your biggest decision you make most if days. If you come past my local supermarket, you just right. see me in the shaver aisle, just like holding up different razors, weighing them. Like like Indiana Jones with a bag of sand. I mean, I'm just like looking at one, feelings weight, mm, price quality, price quality. It's all you really think about. Never shut up about the difference between price and quality. Dollarshaveclub.com is a no-brainer for an incredible shave delivered right to your door. 
Dollarshaveclub.com delivers high-quality razors right to my home for less than I used to pay. There's no reason to deal with the hassle of going to the store to buy expensive razors once you join the club. I like join that. The club, yeah. Dollar Shave Club, you should... We sh- you should do that more often. Refer yourself as the club. Yeah, the club. You want to join the the club? club. Oh, does it sound a bit dodgy? The club. No, no. It's if like I said, "Hey, Will, do you want to join the club?" <laughs> that would that sounds. The dodgy. first rule of Shave Club is you must do an ad about <laughs> Shave Club. Just go to the Dollar Shave Club. Uh, just go to dollarshaveclub.com and yep. pick a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. That's all there is to it. When you shave, yep. Do you do the neck? Like, how far do you go? Like. I get hair, like stray hair, all around my neck. Sure. Sometimes I'm like, that's for the barber and that's for me. I can handle that, but that one has to go for a barber. What do you do? I go from nose to groin. <laughs> if I'm going to bother shaving, I just do it all. Do you really? Yeah. You get every, so every bit of visible every hair. Every single bit of hair on my entire body. I find that the... Apart from my eyebrows and my... <laughs> <laughs> my head. No, no, no. Because I go as low sometimes yeah. as my collarbone because I get hair in my collarbone. But then that becomes a very delicate dragging of the blade across bone. <laughs> I have a couple of stray hairs kind of under your Adam's apple. Uh, under there, I get a couple of stray hairs that need to be dealt with. And they grow long quickly. Like there's a couple of real triers. Like, you know, down sort of this part of my neck. And there's not really much hair because I'm not a... No, I'm, I'm more astute than you. Yeah, I'm like I literally have. Just, Is that the right word? You said the word astute. Three years old, and for the first time ever in my life, I noticed the other day that I have hair right across my chest. Wow! Like not much, yeah. but I've always had like a little patch on one side or the other, but it's never had any that joined it up in the middle. I finally got a couple of stragglers that kind of make it like I've almost got <laughs> chest hair. So I'm not a particularly hairy person, but there's one spot on the bottom of my neck where like if I wait a week, like yeah. three or four hairs just make a run for it. I have four four to five hairs that grow on my back, on my shoulder blade, long hairs, like very distinctive kind of hairs. And I'm like, what the hell? Are you Gemma reckons that they've rebelled. They've escaped from yeah. the... They're like, it's like Mad Max Fury Road. They've escaped from the Citadel and they're traversing across my body to see, to get to the green place. Well, see, yeah, they've been born in your groin and they know there's a better place. They've heard, they've heard, they've heard the rumours of the hair, yeah. the top of the head. Where you can grow as yeah. long as you want. As long as you want. And no one's ever going to trim you and you don't have to hang around with this gross part of the body. And so they're trying to make a break for the top of the head. I get a first class shave with my executive razor. And when I use, their, when I use it with Dr. Carver, is shave butter. Uh-huh. I just like saying that. Dr. Dr. Carver's, Carver's shave, shave butter. butter. It sounds like a 70s like psychedelic rock band. I mean, hey yeah. man, have you gotten high and listened to Dr. Carver's shave butter? Hi guys, we're Dr. Carver's shave butter. Just sit back, relax and enjoy the music. Like it starts off with a bit of funky bass. And then like on the projection behind them, it's all just like film stock, like bubble, sort of technicolor bubble film stock. It's just guys shaving. Slowly. It's like a, a wall art piece. <laughs> yeah. It's a slow motion blades going across skin. The club, we got your new advertising campaign. Uh, with Dr. Carver's shave, but the blade just gently glides for the smoothest, smoothest shave imaginable. Why is shaving sexy? There is something sexy and visceral about shaving. What's like a smooth glide, shave? Yeah. taking the hair off, glistening skin. Well, I guess that it's like the hair stubble in particular is not sexy. Because there's nothing sexy about sandpapering somebody else's skin, is there? Well, with my beard, the the, the beard that I keep, because I will tr- I will shave the neck, but I keep the beard. Gemma, Gemma doesn't like me to have too manicured a look. 
she thinks it gets too boy band. Uh-huh. I think I told this story about when I was in Bali earlier this year and I'd grown a really long beard and I went to like an old school proper barber shop to get like the cutthroat razor. And as the guy was shaving, I said, oh, could you just give me, just leave a little bit of a beard, just a little bit of a, a goatee. And when I turned around, I looked like AJ Styles, <laughs> the Backstreet Boys or whatever his fucking name is. He gave me like the little pencil thin kind of mustache leading down to like just the perfectly manicured boy band goatee. <laughs> No way. My wife will never have sex with me ever again if she sees this. Here's your chance to see why over 3 million members like me love Dollar Shave Club. Right now, you can get your first month of the club for as little as $5. Five buckaroonies. That's five Australian bucks. Five Australian dollars. And that's what even... I mean, that's like not even avocado on toast. You couldn't even get avocado on toast that. You could get a cup of coffee. You could get a third of an avocado on toast. You could get a jar of Vegemite, not the big one, a small one. Yeah, and not the new one, not the good blend 17, just what? your Is regular Vegemite. Is a good Vegemite? Vegemite? Yeah, it's, well, there's a new one. Try shaving with the new Vegemite. I bet yeah. that works. Yeah, well, or, yeah, I com- I'd combine Find it with the my butter. Dr. Carver's butter. <laughs> <laughs> Treat your face like a focaccia. Yeah. After that, it's only a few bucks a month. So it's five bucks okay. up front, and then it's just a few bucks a month. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality and value of all their products, yep. there is no long-term commitment or any hidden fees. So you can bail. You're not going to want to, but you can if you want. It's a, that's a good guarantee, isn't it? Though? Yes, that's like, always a good guarantee. Because that's the thing. It's like, you, well, you try it. It costs you five Australian buckaroonies. <laughs> Do- dollary dues. Five Australian dollary dues. And you're not signed up to anything. So yeah. what do you got to lose? Do you, uh, although... Delivered to your door. Though, but those those guarantees always catch me out because I'm fucking lazy. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll sign up to like whatever the new subscription service is and then I'm like, uh, do we mean I have to fucking log on and unsubscribe? That's I don't know much. what I've done here. Take my money. My apartment is full of butter. <laughs> Uh, there's no long-term commitment or any hidden fees. There's no reason not to join. Get yours at Dollar Shove... Uh, doll- oh, God, dollar Shove Club. Dollar Shove Club. Don't, don't please don't do not log on to Dollar Shove Club. It's a whole completely different website. It's very violent. I do not enjoy it. Get your blades at dollarshaveclub.com slash tofop. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash tofop. Slash tofop. Back to the show. Okay, back to the show. What were we talking about? I mean, I don't know. Batman? Batman. <laughs> As usual. Wonder Woman. Back to, back to the Struggling show. to find things to talk about with Wonder Woman? Uh, can I tell you this? Um, yes. Uh, speaking of wonderful women, yes. I, uh, yesterday I was on. Uh, I was coming back from Brisbane. Uh, I had a show up there on a Friday night. I was doing a gig for, um, it was for the CFMEU, which are a big Australian union for the construction industry. And uh, it was for the, they have a young apprentices scheme. So it's an award night for these young apprentices who've been part of this scheme. So it's a big gala sort of dinner, but also awards night. And I was just doing 20 minutes of stand-up as part of the entertainment. So it's in a big ballroom at the exhibition centres. That's quite a long... That's cool. I mean, I don't know much about stand-up. 20 20 minutes is a long... Isn't it? Standard for, like, for for kind of a corporate night. That's right. If they're going to book you, they tend to book you for about 20 minutes. Sometimes they'll ask for 30, and you'll go... That is too long. Yeah. Nobody wants to see no. 30 minutes of me at a gala dinner night. To be honest, I would say to you 15 minutes would probably be heaps, ideal. But they say 20. So, okay. And 20 is fine. Uh, but the thing was... So you do 15 and it's just like five minutes you're just checking your phone. So what's in the news? Yeah, uh, so, Donald Trump's done something crazy again? Ooh, uh. Being an apprentice, eh? <laughs> what's going on with that? Hey. Uh, so it's one of those things where they... I, I I always wonder how they put the entertainment together for a night like this because it's a real mix of stuff. So when I get there at the start, they've got these like Cirque du Soleil style acrobats 
doing this like amazing sort of show, but it's not really on brand for what you would imagine a night of apprentices yeah. getting their rewards is. You know, a lot of men standing on other men's shoulders with their shirts off, like doing acrobatics and stuff. And so then the host of the night, who's this guy from the CFMEU, who's this like old, hardened, like big, tough looking bloke, you know, Aussie bloke. He says this, this is, he goes, and how about those acrobats? That was uh, interesting and different. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, I'm confused about my feelings and uh, don't know how to express them. I don't know. Uh, It was interesting, wasn't it? Did anyone else find themselves getting aroused? That was just me. uh, Different, wasn't it? It was different. So uh, I'm flying back from Brisbane and uh, I'm sitting on the plane and I actually had a bit of work that I had to get done. But I sit down next to this uh, lady who's next to me and she's 84 and it's her first time on a plane in a very, very, very long time. So she's a little bit nervous and she's got this old school telephone, you know, like. You know, like not an well, like not a, what not the one she holds it to her ear and says, "Operator, please." <laughs> like one of those wall-mounted ones. Yeah, it's mounted to the wall yeah, of the plane. Yeah. I don't know how she got it in. No numbers. You just pick it up. You click straight to the operator. They connect you from the switchboard. I don't know how she's doing it from the plane. It was amazing. No, she's got like the first version of a mobile phone, right. basically. You know, it's like the standard. I guess like eighties Coke dealer mobile phone, or we're thinking more like Nokia fifty one ten. Well, I reckon it's like kind of the sort of thing that. If you went into uh, a, a place that isn't a phone shop, like that's more an electronic shop yeah. today, and you bought whatever their cheapest yeah, phone the is. Tandy, yeah, the Tandy. Yeah, that's what it looks like, right. right? So she doesn't know how to turn it off. She's never turned it off before. And she's like, it, and if I do turn it off, I don't know how to turn it, on, how to turn it back on. And she's saying to me, is, she, is, is it going to be a problem? Is it going to like, you know, I said, oh, don't worry about it. She goes, I should tell them. I was like, don't tell them. They'll just make you turn it off if you tell them. Have you them not seen those videos of who they drag off planes? Right. In fact, you're talking to the fucking expert of getting dragged off a plane. You're just, you're just like, lady, shut the fuck up. I've had one bad experience. You to get me in trouble again, I will, I will fucking kill you. I will fuck you up. I'm not above punching a grandma. <laughs> so she... She starts, I, I just say to her, I said, look, don't worry about it. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Just put it in your bag and yeah. like, you know, let's not, let's not mention it to anybody. But then she starts to get really paranoid. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Like, she's really sweating. paranoid. Like she's it. flying into Dubai or something like, with a panic. She's like, are you sure? Are you sure that we shouldn't be telling them? I'm like, lady, I am on this plane too. Yeah. If I honestly thought it was going to bring down the plane, don't you think yeah, I yeah. would be the first person to tell them? Hey. I'd knock on you, old lady. I don't know you. <laughs> I was like, this old lady's trying to bring down the plane. I'll sing like a bloody pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, end up, we end up striking up a, a conversation on the plane. And she's actually really lovely and delightful. And we end up having this kind of long-ranging conversation about everything. And every time I try to get back to something, she's got some other thing that she wants to tell me about. And so we, we talk and we talk and we talk for the entire thing. And uh, she... It's been so long she's, since she's been on a plane that she just doesn't quite know how any of it works. Like, so she's asking me questions. Are we in the air yet? <laughs> well, a lot of things. Like, is she going, is this as high as we go? I was like, what? I mean, I guess so. I don't know. How high did you think we were going? Like, she's like... <laughs> well, at least 14, 15 feet. She goes, it must be scary for the pilots when they go through the clouds. I'm like, I don't think so. I think it's pretty normal. Like, I think... 
She goes, but they're sitting see. next to an 84 year old Wonder Woman. It's her first time in the city. It did feel a little bit like that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and I was like, no, I think they've got like, you know, autopilot and radars and stuff like that, I imagine. I think it's, it's, it's probably fine. And then uh, when the like meals came around, she goes, oh, do we have to pay for alcohol? And I was like, well, in the part of the plane we're sitting in, no, no, we don't have to pay for alcohol. They'll give you alcohol. And then it was brilliant because she was like, I'd like a Pinot Noir, please. And they went, oh, we've only got the Shiraz. And she got a bit narky. She went from being like really overjoyed that we were getting free booze to going, oh, well, this is... Only Shiraz. Only Shiraz. (laughs) So she had a few Shirazes and then she really got a bit loose and started like, you know, talking to me. What was she flying for? Where was she going to visit? So um, her brother had uh, arranged for her. She, She used to be an arts writer for a... Um, for the Courier Mail, which is the Murdoch tabloid uh, in Queensland, and uh, her she loves uh, musicals and opera. Used to sing a bit herself, hmm. and um, Brigadoon is playing here in Melbourne. So her brother had flown her down um, to to see Brigadoon, which uh, you know, so she was very excited about you know what was going on, and we started having a conversation about you know journalism and the news and and those sort of things, and. You know, we started talking about, you know, what I did. And she, like, I mean, she had no idea who, you know, I was or what I did. But um, we eventually, and this was what I was trying to avoid was, we eventually got onto politics. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're just like... I'm flying out of Queensland. Right. (laughs) Chances are. She's 84 years old (laughs) and she used to work for, you know, the Rupert Murdoch paper. So (laughs) I'm going to say that perhaps we're eventually going to... And she goes... And she starts to bring up Bill Leake, you know, the controversial cartoonist in that cartoon he did about the indigenous mm. you know, kids. And I was like, well, this is the area where we have to go our separate ways on this conversation yeah. because, like, you know, I'm going to have to steer this back around. But it was really actually quite delightful. She was very, very, very nice and we had a really good chat. And then at the end, she kissed me. What? Kissed me. On the lips? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean... No, but like... She, I just imagine she grabbed you, like yeah. both hands on either side of your face. <laughs> just gave you a big smooch. That's lovely. That's lovely. Like, this is the trip of a lifetime. I always feel uh, weird uh, about that whole like kissing, handshake, hugging kind of thing. I'm fucking terrible at it. Like I know Gemma has an issue sh- that when she, when she goes to meetings, boardrooms and stuff, and she's like pitching on a job or whatever, she always is like, they always shake the guy's hand and they yep. always want to kiss me on the cheek. And yep. I'm always like, just fucking shake my hand. Shake my hand. Like you don't have to kiss me. But I understand where those guys are coming from because that's just maybe the way I was raised or something. Like, like it's, a, you know, if you shake a man's hand and you kiss a lady on the cheek. It's- but now I'm making like a point to be like, I'll just stick my hand out. But then sometimes I get fucking spooked. Like we met um, some friends for lunch yesterday and there's a guy that I hadn't met before and I hugged him. <laughs> like it was weird. It was just one of those things where... Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I have this kind of, like, freak out where it's like, oh, is this too formal? Should we be in more intimate? And so, like, we sort of, I did that awkward, like, took the hand and then yep. threw an arm around him as, as well. So, like, we had our hands jammed between <laughs> our chests. I just don't know why. Like, because I, I always build myself up to these moments. Like, just fucking shake a hand. It's the easiest thing in the world. But then I get, like, a rush of blood. I get too affectionate. No, I absolutely understand what you're saying because literally last Monday – a similar thing happened to me. So it's my first morning on the radio. I've gone in. And Darcy and I have known each other for 20 years. We're friends, you know. So I go in and, of course, I give him the handshake hug that you give. And then I give Eddie Maguire, who I don't really know at all, a, kiss on the a handshake. <laughs> yeah. And then um, then it kind of just turns into a hug. And before 
before I'm like, I'm literally in that point where you're just a bit close and you're like, because you've just done it to someone else. So if you don't do it to the next person, it feels like... You're ranking them. You're ranking them, yeah. exactly. But at the same time, when I was in the hug, I realized he's not into this. Ah, right. This is, he, he would have just been very, very happy with the, the he, he strikes me as a, as a handshake kind of guy. And the handshake with women, that the interesting thing about that is because I was raised to kiss as well. Mm. And... Of course, in this day and age, you realize how completely invasive and stupid that is on a complete stranger. Yeah. Like the idea that you somehow can kiss on the cheek a complete stranger mm. is, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we ever were even conditioned that it is the case. And also, like some women do kiss on the cheek, like they'll greet me and oh, they'll kiss me on the cheek. Absolutely. Fine. Totally that's fine. fine. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is that. I'm all for kisses. You want to kiss me? Kiss me. <laughs> but the other thing is that there are some women who still don't like the handshake. So I think at the moment we're caught in this in-between. Oh, really? Thing. Yeah, I've had a few where you offer the handshake and it's a bit like... Oh, no contact at all? Well, uh, no, no, I don't even think it's that. I just think we haven't found something. We haven't found that Where there's no contact. Where it's... Well, no, no, no. I think the handshake is fine, but some women just haven't quite... You know, because they've lived in a world where it has been the kiss or like whatever. It doesn't oh, handshake. right, right. You know it, I mean? it, it, it feels too it feels masculine yeah. or, yeah, right, I get that. Yeah. You know, we, need a, we need a feminized... Yeah, we need something a else. A feminized handshake. We need a version of that. <laughs> it, that we need a new creative. Well, let's think about it. Like they yeah. talk about that the handshake comes... The original idea is that it shows that you're not reaching for your sword. Yep. That's why you stick out your right hand. It doesn't work. I'm fucking left-handed anyway. So I can shake it with my right and still yeah. stab you with stab my left. Stab with your sword, with your secret sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Distract me with your right hand and then secretly stab We don't carry swords anymore. We carry mobile phones. Right. So maybe it should be something to do with that. It's like, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm actually paying. I'm not paying. I'm paying attention to you. So maybe. So maybe it's just more of an open hand gesture. Look, I don't have my phone in my hands. Well, maybe we should jazz hands each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, just like. It's non touching. Yeah. It's like close. You know, it's like, look, look, I'm open to you. Yeah, look, no phone in my hands. I'm listening to you. I'm not tweeting. Look. I'm not tweeting. I'm not Facebooking. <laughs> it's also what you do to the police. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if they turned up at your door. I don't know that one will work. It's non-threatening though. Like if you were, you know, I'm not going to, if you've got both hands in the air, I'm not going to try to grab you on the bum or like, you know, do any of these like things that are, you know. Yeah. Well, some people do just say hi, like raise a hand. Hey, you yeah. know, hey, this is Will. Hey, raise a hand. It is weird. But both hands, I think. I think it should be both hands. Yeah, because it, it, it makes it hands. more formal than just yeah. a casual. Yeah, like your a hand. wave feels almost like dismissive. What you if, know, if you just put up one hand? But what if you? I mean, I guess the there is a suggestion though. You know, the reason the handshake works, why it's such a powerful symbol, is it's literally coming together. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna put our bodies together. We're we're a union. So I think you need something that isn't so standoffish. Maybe like a touching of elbows or something. So in uh, here's what I've noticed about America in comedy because in Australia in comedy we tend to handshake and hug most yep. of us like and boys and girls to be honest like it tends to be you mm. know kind of like a handshake into a hug and it's mm. a community where we all kind of know each other and that's what you do if someone's had a good set you'll do hug handshake that sort of thing right yeah in America I noticed because I would like you know go the handshake or whatever they don't shake hands a lot in America in comedy it's very much the fist, fist bump. bump. Right. How do you feel about the fist bump? Could it be, is the fist bump a sort of compromise where you don't have to clam onto someone? Yeah. There's no power in the fist bump? Because the thing about the I handshake the- too is it becomes, it can become about the power dynamic and like someone forcing their hand over the other I think the problem with the fist bump for me is, I've made, uh, to me it's ironic. 
Like whenever I fist bump someone, it's generally ironic. It's yeah, like a, it's, it's making true. fun of bros. It's yeah, like yeah, it's like, 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 like you, you'll say yeah. something completely unimpressive and then hold your hand out for a fist yeah, bump. You know what I mean? Like, what about like a fist bump and then like a? <laughs> no, even worse. <laughs> That's even more ironic. I don't know. Maybe I mean, you, you, I used to like a high five. Yeah. And then I was told I couldn't do it anymore. I worked Why? on a TV show. Well, I look. Hang on, what's I'm going to flood Is it an theory. occupational health and safety thing? I think I popularized the high five in the early Shut 2000s. Up. No, I do. Shut up. I, no one used to do it. Back at, I used to fucking like. I invented the moonwalk. No, I didn't, in, gonna... I didn't, I didn't invent the high five. I oh, popularized it, popular. it. Yeah. I'm was like it, Quentin it Tarantino. It wasn't I, NBA basketball. I took, like I took some. No, or... like, on, no, I'm saying I popularized the high five in a conversational setting. Oh, okay. So sportsmen, of course, are high fiving okay. after they do something fantastic. But I would just be talking to someone and then bring out a high five. Oh, yeah, like. And it would fucking annoy every single person I worked with that I would be talking to them and I'd just throw out that fucking high five hand. And it was a bit of a joke at the start, but then I just got really used to just like, you know, it's like, it's an affirmation thing. So I'm talking to you and it's like, hey, we agree, Batman versus Superman's a terrible film. High five. High five. I, no, well, I, I think that's too much though, because that's like, if we're going to use it as a, like, you know, how you greet someone. Right, you, you can't, can't high-five. It's not like every time you say something that you agree with, you go, handshake. Yeah. Shake hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Although I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Just constantly shaking hands every time you agree with someone. But, Just see two coked up guys at a party constantly <laughs> shaking hands. I like the high-five. I've always been a big fan of the high-five. I think it's... It is one of those things that... Whenever we've gone to the football together yeah. and one of our teams scores a goal, yeah. there's always like a high five. Unless it's we're joyous. playing each other. Yeah. It's the joyous... Like, I think the high five is a joyous thing. Yeah. And I do... Yeah, I, I think... It's a, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a co-opted clap. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's essentially a clap. It's two people clapping yeah. together. Yeah. Right? It's the sounds of two hands clapping. Right. Exactly. It's one hand clapping with another hand, yeah. which is actually the best way for one hand to clap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think high five. I think if I was going to go with something as like a, if I was going to bring back, like here's our standard greeting that everyone can enjoy. I guess the problem with high five though is it suddenly creates a, another power dynamic. If we're talking about an inclusive, gender neutral, physical greeting, the problem with the high five is some fucking dude, big guy, is going to slap your hand real hard. And if you're a delicate man or woman, it's going to be a dominance thing. In the same way that fucking Mark Latham shakes your hand. You know what I mean? It's like this kind of, I'm going to fucking stand over and you and shake your hand. Yeah, but the thing about trying to do an overly aggressive high five is it's more likely to fuck up the person trying to do the aggressive high five. Like an aggressive handshake, you can still balance. But if you throw your whole body weight into a high five and you miss, Take out like a run up. You literally are going to fuck yourself up. You know what I mean? Like there is actually a kind of... You don't want to go too hard into the That's high five. That's right, right, because I guess the, the receiver of the yeah. high five actually has, has the, the control. Power. Yeah. Yeah. They can pull out at any yeah, stage and abort. If someone's coming in abort. too hard for a That's high five, you can just literally yeah. get out of the way or whatever, and the other person's going to fuck up. Okay. Okay. I'm down. Oh, that, that's great. The thing it, about the high five is you both kind of have to, even more than a handshake, mm. in a high five, you both kind of have to hit with the same amount of it. It actually force. takes a bit of force, timing, and control of the other person. And you've got to concentrate, you know, I've got to concentrate a little on a high five. I don't know about that because I can hold my hand up and say high five and then you can take a fucking wind up and slap the shit out of it. And that's not the same force. That's a good point, actually. But I agree that you're putting the power in the hands of the receiver because someone is making the... How what? about this? Okay. The bigger person has to be the receiver, like in your high five situ okay. power situation. So for what about example, two people of equal size? <laughs> well, that's fine. You can meet in the middle. 
toss a coin. Okay. <laughs> Do it different ways each week. These board meetings now take like an extra 15 minutes. If there's an well, we have to line up people. power imbalance, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's that sort of thing of going, the bigger person, they kind of hold their hand up and then the littler person can just come and I like that. slap it along the way. I like that. I think this is a good greeting. I mean, is it too, is it considered too, I don't know, like punky, like it's not civilized, like a handshake is kind of considered gentlemanly and the high five's considered more kind yeah, of street. Yeah, but this is the problem, right? The, the problem is that we have these old-fashioned rules, yeah, right, like that's... kissing a girl's hand or like, you know, kissing yeah, that's the true. cheek is the old-fashioned old gentleman way. way. Yeah. We're looking for a new way that everybody can enjoy. Yeah, this isn't, your, this isn't your grandpa's handshake. No, this is the high five. Says two 40-year-old guys. Yeah, it's white guys <laughs> co-opting something, something that was invented <laughs> by black people to like, you know... Work out what we should do with women. You know, white guys. Stealing and fixing everything for everybody. Uh, okay, let's uh, that that's a good that's a good show. Okay. I figure we we, <laughs> that's a good show. we we didn't deliver on anything that we said we were going to. Um, uh, can you please check out our, our website? Uh, to, not you. I'm talking to the audience, Will. Can you please? Uh, uh, let's uh, not sound too desperate. Uh, uh, please, please, please. Please. Go to our website, tofop.com, uh, to find links to this and, and other uh, wonderful podcasts. If we you have... haven't heard the last episode, by the way, it was our uh, first big live one at the Sydney Opera House, and it's a crazy... It's, I think, probably our best ever live I know. Show. I actually I caught up with my... Uh, uh, my manager on Friday and he was like I just found out you did a couple of shows at the Opera House and I was like yeah and he's like why didn't you invite me I was like oh dude because I didn't want you to think less of me <laughs> like I honestly and he was like I manage you. Like, yeah. I need to know what you do. Right. I need to be able to, like, when pitch you. at the opera house <laughs> yeah. entertaining people yeah. to sold-out crowds. Yeah. That's actually something I would find handy to, you know, get you work yeah. entertaining people. I know. I was like, you're right. I don't know why. I just had so much shame about it before we did Mate, the show. I am so ashamed of this podcast. <laughs> that, like, I'm the same. I'm like, yeah, we did the opera house. But... <laughs> it's like... You feel bad for the opera house? Yeah. Like, it's like... like we, our, our, we did our dirty business yeah. in one of your theatres. But yeah, it was a great show. It, I think we set a, an, a standard now that is going to be fucking hard to top. I'm already freaking out about the next live show we do, how we're possibly going to match it. But I think it involves pyrotechnics. So, um, yes, you can uh, c- check that out. Uh, and there is also on our Patreon page... Uh, yeah, on our Patreon page. If, so we did two shows at the opera house. Yeah. So the first one uh, is free to listen to on, on a normal podcast feed. Um, but if you'd like to hear the second show, which is really good as well, very different kind of vibe, yeah. but I actually really enjoyed that show and as well. And a bit of a sequel? A bit like of a sequel. Well because yeah. there was like a little bit of stuff, you know, from the second one as yeah, well. Yeah, we worked out that we had a great, uh, We it's like um, Family Matters. We worked out we had an Urkel in the right. first show and then we brought a bit of Urkel, you know, to butter up the second show. <laughs> Uh, really great guests as well. And you can check that out on the Patreon. Uh, 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 Patreon.com forward slash Tofop. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, Patreon, for those of you who don't know, is a basically subscription service. So it just helps us uh, you know, keep the show going. So you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month um, or as much as you're willing to afford. Look, we understand uh, that everyone has, their own, uh, has things that they have to pay for and yeah, this is just a, a silly little podcast. But if you can think of it of you like listening to this show, how much, how much this show means to you, what value yeah. you feel the show is worth to you, that amount would be helpful. Yeah, exactly. And if that is zero, don't get involved. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it is like, you know, a dollar a month, then that is helpful to us too because it just gives us that sort of base level where we know we can pay James, we know we can pay, pay Michael, you know, all these sort of things. Essentially, it's just a way of guaranteeing that the 
show keeps going yeah. more than anything. It stays on there. Yeah. Um, I also just posted to our Facebook page a little behind-the-scenes video of how the robot came to be. So I just posted that this morning, so you can check that out as well. There'll be another Q&A uh, video coming out uh, this week. People seem to really like those. We've got one more of those to come out next week. I've got some footage of us on uh, my phone, by the way, uh, repairing the robot. Oh, send it to me. Yeah, so yeah. we should put that up as yeah, well. Yeah, no, we've That's got... really fun. <laughs> In between the first show and the second show, the robot needed to be rebuilt. Better than it was. Better, stronger. <laughs> Faster. With more gaffer time. <laughs> uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can check us out. Uh, uh, Will's uh, got his own Twitter account. I've got my own Twitter account as well. Uh, uh, there's a couple of other. Po- we have a footy podcast that we haven't done a new one of recently, but uh, sometime in the next uh, few weeks we'll probably do a post grand final, post trade period, pre draft, pre draft, uh, two guys, one cup. But you can check out episodes of that if you haven't done that before. I have a podcast called Willosophy, which I have been doing some new episodes of, and I'm doing a big live show. Uh, oh, I did next weekend, I think, on Sunday <laughs> next next weekend uh, at Giant Dwarf as part of the Yak Festival. It is sold out, but um, you know. Uh, the thing about those sort of shows is also that if you were so desperate to come along to it and you rocked up on the day, there's always probably going to be a couple of, you know, spare tickets, you know, uh, comp tickets or people who just, you know, for whatever reason, don't manage to make it on the day. So uh, if you were really seriously desperate to come along, then you could try your luck on the day. Will doesn't gamble, but he's saying you should gamble on getting a ticket. Yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, if there's only a few of you, we'll probably squeeze you in. If a hundred extra people turn up, then you probably won't all get in. Sorry about that. (laughs) I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.